Part three, chapter thirteen of Life and Lillian Gish. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn Lilliard. Life and Lillian Gish by Albert Bigelow Payne. Part three, chapter thirteen one romantic night it is difficult to realize the size of the catastrophe resulting from the sudden production of talking pictures even of pictures with sound effects as many of them were at first some of them really talked better or worse than others no matter every picture theatre in new york and most of them on the road were presently being wired for sound all the millions possibly billions of dollars worth of silent pictures shrunk in value at a ghastly rate the eastern hemisphere the only market for them presently was comparatively unimportant hundreds of pictures were useless picture players found themselves out of a job stars began to pale and disappear on the other hand ill as was the wind it dispensed benefits stage players out of employment found market for their trained speech their feet warmed the way to hollywood a good many were already there as the months passed the screen showed more of the old familiar faces broadway to the rescue even the great succumbed george arliss master of diction joined the procession ruth chatterton eventually lillian not willingly she still believed in the silent film she had objected even to the lip movement the simulated speech insisted upon by the directors to her the perfect picture must be pure pantomime with music appropriate music as in broken blossoms it would never be that now beautiful evelyn hope was dead there is no help for such things tears idle tears since the beginning of time grief has never repaired a single loss one might as profitably wail over the sunken atlantis she still had her contract with the united artists and by its terms must make at least one picture before she could cancel it she had hoped to get out of it altogether but while it did not mention talking pictures she was advised to abide by its terms it would involve me in a suit with the united artists and i had had suits enough as it was i barely avoided another the company had agreed to let me do eugene o'neill's strange interlude if i could get it for a reasonable sum i could have it to take the place of the reinhardt picture i came east in april nineteen twenty nine to see mr madden o'neill's agent i could have it for seventy five thousand dollars this suited Mr. Joe Schenck. It suited Mr. O'Neill. We had the papers drawn up. I was to sign them that morning, and it was only because I was protected by an angel that I didn't do it. On that very day, a woman brought suit against O'Neill for plagiarism. Had I signed that contract, I should have been involved in the suit. She was beaten and had to pay costs, but the damage to O'Neill was more than that in fees. Meantime, Dorothy had gone to Germany and brought Mother to London. 
Mother was tired of sanitariums and hotels. She wanted a home, and I decided to have one. I joined them, and Dorothy and I went to Paris to collect furniture for an apartment. I had most of it made, copies of old French pieces. I came home in August, and all through that month looked for a place to live. It was a terrible search in the heat. When I saw this apartment, with its outlook on the river, its quiet air and sunshine, I knew that it was what we wanted. My friend, Mr. Paul Chalfin, kindly looked after the decoration, and I started at once for California to do the picture we had selected, The Swan. This was during the latter part of September, 1929. The apartment would not be ready before November. In California, Lillian lived with Madame de Grissac at Beverly Hills. There was just then a good deal of talk about kidnapping, and she was advised against living alone. Josephine, her Austrian maid, had remained in Los Angeles, but met her at the station with flowers and tears. Careful preparation for the swan began. Lillian was admirably suited to the role, that of the fair Princess Alexandra. Her voice, quality, and diction needed only slight adjustment. Melville Baker had written the script for the swan, adapting it from his translation of the original play by Ferenc Molnar. She thought very well of it and hoped for the best. She wrote Reinhardt of her decision and received a gracious reply. Both artistically and from the business point of view, it, the swan, ought to be a success, he said, and added, In spite of all those rather disagreeable experiences I had to go through in Hollywood, I have kept the time I spent there in most agreeable remembrance. To have been together with you, your undeviable artistic spirit— blossoming there like a rare, lonely flower, and the pureness of your conviction, made me happy, and will remain for me an unlosable experience for all time to come. Making a picture now was a different matter from those very recent old days. Then, a set where action was in progress was about the noisiest place on the lot— stage hands and various bosses shouting to one another the director shouting at the players noise noise no end to it now all was silence every sound even the feeblest rustling was recorded by the microphone except for the actors their laughter their breathing the accessory beat of rain or hail the stillness was perfect the sound stage was a padded cell. With the preparation and all, Lillian said, I worked about three months on one romantic night, as they called the picture later. Mary Pickford had a bungalow on the lot and lent it to me. I used it as a dressing room. Sometimes I slept there when I had to be on the lot very early. I had Georgie, my dog, and Josephine. It would have been well enough, but they were building sound stages all about which made a great deal of noise all night long. It was a complete little house. Josephine cooked for me when we stayed there. I arrived in New York Christmas morning with a wild turkey, which I got in Arizona. It had been brought to the train by some friends of a little girl who had done my hair out there. They had often sent turkeys to me to California. It was all dressed and all the way across the continent, cooks on the diners kept it in their refrigerators. 
They were very much interested. We had dinner in our new apartment, our first real home. Mother was delighted with it, and has seemed better and more contented ever since. Her pleasure in it makes us all so happy. One romantic night was a photographically beautiful picture with a distinguished cast. Lillian as Princess Alexandra, Rod LaRoque as the prince, sent against his will to woo her, Marie Dressler as her designing mother, Conrad Nagel as a tutor in love with Alexandra, O.P. Heggie, altogether a fine company. Yet it has been called a poor picture, and Lillian today is not proud of her part in it. It was by no means a failure. Never had she looked more lovely, no longer a victim of tyranny, brutality, and betrayal, but a princess, as rare as any out of a fairy tale, with a palace and a rose garden and suitors. With a lilting, perfectly timed voice, Lillian appeared to have come into her own. Her acting and beauty furnished no surprise, but her voice and laugh did. She had been silent and sad so many years. The audience followed her through a presentation, in itself seldom more than mildly exciting, and not always that. The tutor's astronomy at times wearied not only the prince, but, unhappily, the audience. Marie Dressler's broad comedy was highly amusing, but there were moments when one got the impression that the play was not only very light comedy, as apparently it was meant to be, but a good farce gone wrong. Only that fairy princess in the rose garden, on a terrace under the stars, or leaning from a balcony to her prince, was not quite farce material. And the ending helped. The prince and princess, in a properly ordered elopement, in quite a royal car, swinging under the castle walls out of the picture into the night, to the notes of a marvelously musical klaxon, added a touch that brought the story back to the realm of pure romance, leaving a lovely impression. End of Part 3, Chapter 13